The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Rabon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world. And joining us is Graham Barfield, the author of Yards Created and co-owner of Fantasy Points. Graham, thanks for joining us. How is it going? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is, uh, should be fun. Uh, really excited to talk backs with you guys. I'm more excited. I, I caught the tail end of a, a very uh, intense Dan Arnold, Jay Sternberger debate that I, I don't understand the Dan Arnold love in the fantasy industry. I, like, do, do people not know the Cardinals don't use tight ends? Like, I, I really genuinely don't get it. I don't even want to uh, open this door because uh, Rayvon <laughs> will just run through it. But uh, yes, Graham, you are correct. Okay. Let's get started with the show. Uh, Graham, you are the, on Twitter, it says author of Yards Created, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. You are the creator of Yards Created, which is a pretty cool thing. Can you talk just a little bit about your methodology for scouting running backs? Yeah, Yards Created is a project I've been doing now for five years where I basically chart like the top 12, top 15 rookie running backs that are coming into the NFL. And I, I chart like seven or eight games every year uh, more than half of the season, and, and basically determine, you know, what a run, you know, uh, how many yards a running back uh, should be accredited on his own for creating on his own. And, and basically, I do this by charting offensive line play first, seeing how many yards an offense the offensive line is blocked on a per play basis, and then I go from there uh, and see how many yards the the running back should be accredited for. Uh, it's also kind of taken uh, some uh, new pathways, like I chart missed tackles forced by power, elusiveness, and speed. I, I chart uh, every passing down snap to chart yards per route run, chart pass protection. And, uh, I, you know, I, I went into this thinking it would be kind of like more of a, a descriptive, like fun, like, hey, this is where this guy wins. This is where he succeeds. But uh, I think it's done a pretty decent job of predicting uh, future fantasy success, which is pretty cool. All right. So you are very much into the running back position and evaluating it. Can you talk about your approach to running back in fantasy? Yeah. I mean, obviously fantasy football is all about volume. Uh, and, and especially in PPR leagues, we want running backs that are highly involved in the passing game. I actually went back and looked for a study I did for fantasypoints.com and uh, wrote up in a best ball column, uh, like snaps and routes run are the two main stats that correlate most to fantasy points it's not even touches like getting on the field and running routes are by far the two biggest things we should be looking for uh, for our fantasy backs especially if you play in, in PPR um, you know talent and offensive line is, is obviously a, another variable that matters but by and large you know you can have a player uh, who you might not think is very good but if they're going to get 250 touches and be on the field consistently uh, they're the ones we should be targeting 
Um, so on next episode, uh, we're going to start talking about the running backs outside of the top 12. Which of that group is uh, your favorite? And spoiler alert, uh, Austin Eckler is part of that group. Yeah, it's Austin Eckler. <laughs> that, was a re- that was exactly where I was going to go. I was kind of shocked that he was left off the, the show sheet, actually. He's, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it a little later on, but he's in my top 12. I mean, look, we'll, we'll talk about it now. Okay, there's this mishmash of running backs. Once you get past, let's say, like the, the top seven, top eight, uh, and depending on the ADP source that you use, any number of guys could, you know, kind of creep into that 11th or 12th spot. So in many leagues, it wouldn't be a surprise for Austin Eckler to uh, be going in the top 12. In some leagues, he, he falls out of it. That's the, uh, that's the answer there. Depending on who's making your podcast outline, you might have guys that don't belong in the outline, in the outline, and guys that are missing that should be there. Let's, Let's just say that the site we're using for ADP didn't have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in there yet, and we all know that's you know not true. If you're in any drafts lately, he goes in the top 10, so I, I think it, it has more to do with the ADP source we're using. Yeah, and uh, you know, Raybon, interesting point that you, uh, you mentioned there about uh, the person who is controlling the, uh, the show sheet. Uh, that's something we could you know, talk about later in, in the episode or off air if you want, if you dare. But uh, yeah, there's always a question in terms of these guys going at the end of the, the first, uh, that, that first group there in the top 12 of, uh, you know, like, does this guy actually belong in the top 12? And yeah, I would say, as Graham said, that uh, obviously Austin Eckler belongs in that group in terms of where he should be going, but he's, he's not always going there. So we'll, we'll have a conversation about that in a little bit. I apologize for Matthew Friedman shenanigans at the outline, but I do want to know who is the one running back you've gotten the most of uh, so far. Dead. <laughs> uh, now it's Eckler. Like I'm drafting Eckler a bunch in the second round, but the, the my number one running back that I have in best ball was actually Clyde Edwards Alaire. I draft him in like almost every time I could get him in the second round. Um, now that's obviously not happening. Uh, it kind of sucks because that was like my draft plan in every league is to get Edwards Alaire in round two. And even if he started slow, I felt like he had the potential to be a league winner in the in the late rounds. Uh, but now my main target is Eckler in the second round. Uh, I typically am going uh, RB, RB to start. I'll mix in Travis Kelsey and George Kittle in the second round, but I, I really feel pretty strongly that uh, running back, running back start this year is the way to go. And then you just hammer, you know, the wide receivers, Mark Andrews for the next five, six rounds. So Eckler is my guy and Matt, he 100% should have been in the show sheet. <laughs> so uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Matthew Friedman is yeah. It's, it's not a matter of where you have him ranked. It's a matter of where he's going in average draft position in your typical league. I mean, this, we can call this the uh, Austin <laughs> Eckler episode, even though he's technically not on the show sheet. That's totally fine. And then uh, the next episode after this, we can call it, Austin Eckler part two. Like I'd say besides Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he's the running back we should be talking about the most because he's one of the guys who I think at the position offers the most value outside of that, like basically opposite of that, Graham. Who's the one running back you are most looking to stay away from in your fantasy drafts? Look, I love the player. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of out on Nick Chubb. Uh, he had some, like, uh, he got very unlucky in the touchdown department last year based on his volume. Um, he should have scored, like, at least two to three more touchdowns uh, because he, he, you know, he basically got a bunch of volume inside the 10 and, and kind of got unlucky there. But uh, once Kareem Hunt uh, was activated from suspension, like, his target share, his routes, all of his, you know, snaps started falling. Um, and, you know, I think he's bound for some positive touchdown regression just based on how I think he'll be used in the red zone. But, you know, new OC with uh, new, co- new OC, no, new coaching staff that might view 
Kareem Hunt a little bit differently. You know, they kind of used Hunt as not necessarily like an inside runner last year. They kind of used him in a little bit of like a bit role, like a change-up role. Uh, I think we, we know Kareem Hunt is a much better runner than that. And I, I think there's a real chance they might turn this into not like a full-blown committee where Chubb is like the 1B. I still think he's the 1A. Uh, but Kareem is, is definitely very good in the past game. will stay highly involved there. And, and Chubb just goes like – man, like 13, 14 overall, sometimes he gets into the first round. Like, uh, I think you're just paying a, a really big premium for a running back that's not going to be involved highly in the passing game. And there's some guys like Josh Jacobs, who I think uh, could could literally double his his reception total potentially this year uh, from last year that goes later. And I'm, I'm just more interested in, in someone like him and Austin Eckler. <laughs> okay, so I think I'm going to win a lot of points from you guys when I call an audible right here and bump Nick Chubb off of the outline and put uh, Austin Eckler into the outline. So that's one, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, two, Graham, uh, on the Sirius XM show, uh, I believe a few weeks ago, Rayvon and I were having a debate of Chubb versus Kareem Hunt. And I made the statement that Kareem Hunt actually might be the better running back out of the two. And uh, Rayvon pushed back on that a little bit. What do you think in terms of their skill level, not necessarily who's going to have the most fantasy points this year, but in terms of their actual abilities on a football field, which one of those guys do you think is actually the better player? And, and could you like put a, a percentage on it in terms of like, I think this guy is, you know, 60% and this guy's 40% in terms of like the probability of who's better. Yeah. I think it's really close. I think it's 55-45 in favor of Chubb. Uh, I think Chubb is just a slightly better inside runner. I think he's got slightly better vision. But, man, like Kareem Hunt, but both players, when I you know charted them for yards created, both running backs fared extremely well. Uh, but Kareem Hunt was always a guy that was, like, very underrated in the process. Like, he created a bunch of yards. Like, you know, yes, he played against a, a poor competition in college, but he was always, you know, top of the – uh, he was top of the charts and missed tackles forced. And ever since he's joined the league, uh, he's been one of the most elusive running backs in the NFL. And I mean, I think it stay, says a lot that like, you know, when Chubb, or excuse me, when Hunt came back to the lineup, like Nick Chubb's passing down role was basically completely diminished. I mean, his target share, target share fell from 12% to 5%. I mean, Kareem Hunt outscored him uh, in, in fantasy in six of eight games. Um, I think there's just a real chance people are just like completely underrating and, and overlooking just how big of a role Kareem Hunt is going to play in this offense. And yeah, Chubb is really good, but, but Kareem Hunt is, uh, yeah, he's a really talented dude too. All right, let's uh, get into this conversation uh, a little more in depth on the top 12. And obviously the guy we got to start with is Christian McCaffrey at the top, uh, almost the unanimous 101. Uh, in some leagues, I've actually seen at this point Clyde Edwards Alaire go 101, uh, which I don't want to say that that's just a uh, rookie delirium taking over, but uh, you know, some people really, really striving to be contrarian there. But in most leagues, Christian McCaffrey is the slam dunk 101 in 2019. Uh, he had an RB1 performance in 14 of his 16 games for the season. He had more than 150 PPR points, more than the number two running back. So, uh, very dominant. Where are you on Christian McCaffrey? Not necessarily like, hey, are you taking him number one overall? But uh, how big of an edge do you think you have if you get the 101? It's a massive edge. Like, if you look at win rates over the last uh, couple of years, like, even if you're not taking Christian McCaffrey, if you have the 101, I mean, you just, you're automatically, your odds of winning is literally double of that 
uh, if you have like the 11th or 12th pick. So just right off the draw, right off the luck of the draw, you've got like literally double the odds to win your league. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like anybody that doesn't have CMC at 101 is just genuinely overthinking, especially in, in PPR. I mean, you've basically got a, you know, a high end wide receiver two plus a RB one uh, getting volume. And like I said, I mean, the number one things we should be looking for is snaps and routes run and Christian McCaffrey does not come off the field. Uh, and now he's got check down quarterback King Teddy Bridgewater uh, going to be looking for him in the, in the short and intermediate areas all day long. Uh, this offense is going to revolve around CMC and getting his touches. And I, I just, his floor is so high. I mean, literally no player in fantasy has a higher floor. I mean, every single week we can expect like at least 15 to 18 points. And you just can't say that about anybody else. Sean, if you look just at the final season uh, production numbers for Christian McCaffrey, two years ago, he had almost 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 13 touchdowns. Last year, almost 2,400 yards from scrimmage, 19 touchdowns. Um, On the one hand, it would be foolish to say like, yeah, Christian McCaffrey is going to do again this year exactly what he did last year. But it seems like he has a pretty good shot of doing something pretty close to like an average of what he's done over the past two years or something pretty close to what he did two years ago, really what should people be expecting? Right. Yeah. And that's the best way to think about it is, you know, the odds of him repeating that performance are probably low, but if there's any back that can do it, it's him. Um, So I would think of it that way. If he stays healthy all 16 games, it's very likely he's the top scoring running back. So when, when you take him first overall, the only way it won't pan out is if he misses time, I think. So um, you know, I'm all in on CMC as the number one all pick, overall pick. Uh, I think it's a huge edge to start off with him. Um, and, you know, they have the new offensive coordinator in Joe Brady. Um, and I'm not too worried about that at all. You know, he ran the, the passing game at LSU, and we saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in that system, even sending Hilaire deep on deep routes. Um, so it'll be cool to see how they utilize uh, McCaffrey, maybe even more in the passing game. But I think that's the point with McCaffrey. Even though the team pretty much sucks in the offensive line, uh, is pretty bad, you know, being as involved in the passing game as him, he's, he's really matchup proof. And, you know, when it comes to receptions for running back, that's actually the most valuable touch you can have. So um, I, I agree with Graham. I think he has the highest floor and the highest ceiling. So that's why, um, you know, I don't even hesitate. If you have the first overall pick, you have to take him. Raybon, I think one of the big questions with Christian McCaffrey isn't, is he going to be used heavily? Um, but does he have the ability to score uh, you know, double digit touchdowns in an offense, or let's say, you know, 13 touchdowns two years ago, 19 touchdowns last year. Does he have that type of touchdown potential this year in an offense that, uh, you know, is kind of starting over and has some uncertainty there? Absolutely. Last year, Carolina's quarterback situation was abysmal. Kyle Allen was one of the least efficient quarterbacks in the league. Cam Newton was a shell of himself in the games he played, and Will Greer looked like he never played football before in his start. So Carolina statistically was one of the least efficient passing teams, which, you know, passing drives offense and Christian McCaffrey's the rest of the offense. He was pretty much every other play was McCaffrey. So Teddy Bridgewater is actually an upgrade on every quarterback Carolina had last year. I'm not saying that he's going to be amazing, but he's going to bring some stability. And as Graham pointed out, he's a guy that's checking it down. He's looking underneath his average depth of target, Uh, is around six to six and a half over the last few years. And um, that's great news for McCaffrey. So, I mean, just think about it this way. McCaffrey outscored every running back 
even in standard formats, by 70 points. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that it's really hard to, to, to make a case for any other player. I think the only way you do it is if you're trying to be contrarian and you just don't go running back, number one, and you go with Michael Thomas. But even that, I think it's, it's still kind of crazy. I think you just want to take McCaffrey and, and keep him moving. After Christian McCaffrey, uh, I think you have this, this tier of running backs. And really, you could cut it into two tiers. Uh, Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott, for most people, are going number two and three in some order. Uh, and then maybe Michael Thomas goes in there. And I think, you know, there's a, a teardrop between those two and the guys who follow Alvin Kamara uh, and Dalvin Cook. And some people might have Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that tier. Uh, we can certainly talk about him in a little bit. But Graham, I want to get your thoughts on those four guys, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, Cook, uh, how it is that you, you rank them. Yeah, so I've got Barkley 2, Zeke, and Kamara. Like, man, I have a really hard time distinguishing between those two uh, at 3 and 4. And then I've got Cook as a clear 5 behind him. But, you know, Saquon last year obviously was never healthy. Uh, He he hurt his ankle mid-year. Um, and still was just an absolute, like when he, you know, when he did play and had a full snap share, um, he, he's been a beast. I mean, over the last two years, uh, he's averaged 21.7 fantasy points per game. I mean, that's uh, like, you know, top four, top five all time. If you're looking at just historical baselines um, and, you know, again, we look for running backs that are involved in the passing game and Barkley should be a shoe in for 60 or 70 targets. Um, Zeke and Kamara is a really close debate in PPR. I think, uh, last year, uh, Alvin Kamara, before he hurt his ankle, he was like fantastic. I mean, he was top three in missed, uh, missed tackles force per touch, got a little unlucky in the touchdown department, but he was playing on like 65, 70% of snaps last year, which for a player that is highly, highly efficient, like Kamara is, is just like, it could be a ludicrous, ludicrous role for him. I mean, you got to remember Alvin Kamara, uh, back before, uh, Mark Ingram was not on the team, uh, you know, in 2018 and 2017, he was basically like a, you know, part-time player playing 55, 60% of the snaps. You know, last year it got boosted way up. Uh, I just think he has such a high ceiling that we just have not seen uh, the true, true ceiling for Kamara just yet. Uh, Zeke's volume is obviously really safe. Cook's volume is pretty safe too. But I, I think with Kamara and, and, and Barkley, especially their involvement in the passing game uh, kind of boosts them. Uh, significantly higher than Dalvin Cook for me. Raybon, I want to kick it to you here. Uh, you have Ezekiel Elliott, number two. I have Barkley, number two. We've talked about this on the serious show before. Uh, and I can see the case for Zeke. Honestly, I think it's, it's pretty close between those guys. I give the edge to Barkley in part because I think at this point he has a higher uh, target share than we're going to see out of Zeke. Uh, and I think he's going to be funneled the ball just a little bit more, even as a runner, uh, than Zeke. But can you talk about what you prefer in Zeke? I just like Zeke because he's extremely safe, um, extremely talented, extremely safe, um, has been durable, you know, more durable than Saquon. Um, his missed games came from uh, kind of off the field issues. And when I look at Saquon just on a week to week basis, I think there's just a little more room for downside. For example, Zeke has never had a game like Saquon had in week 10 last year where he had 13 carries for one yard. He never had a game like Saquon did in week three last year where he had eight carries for 10 yards. Uh, So he's a guy that's trying to hit a home run on every play. And every once in a while, you're going to get a really bad performance against a, a good run defense. And when you talk about the targets, yeah, I think Saquon has a higher targets ceiling. 
but at the same time, you know, we talk a lot about, okay, you know, new coaching staff in Dallas and then Jason Garrett coming over from Dallas to New York. So it's very possible that, you know, Saquon, who saw a dip in his target volume last year um, compared to his rookie season, uh, is kind of used more like Zeke, which all in all evens out. But really, for me, it's just that, that consistency where I see a little more downside for Saquon. And also, I think Dallas still has a better, uh, higher quality offensive line than New York. John, you uh, are with Raybon on this. I think you have Zeke ahead of uh, Barkley, which uh, it just tickles me that both of you are on the wrong side of this. Uh, Sean, uh, talk to me about Zeke and why you prefer him to Barkley. It's all about having a higher floor in this this range. We always talk about, you know, in the first round, you just don't want to mess up. So um, I typically am a little bit safer. Um, I think Barkley obviously has the higher ceiling. As Raybon mentioned, you know, he, he usually goes to the home run. So that's, he's going to be way more volatile week to week when, I just want Zeke's, you know, 10 plus touchdowns, uh, 1200 yards and move on with life and then, you know, dominate the draft later on and take swings elsewhere. But yeah, I, I think, you know, Zeke, um, they're going to run a lot more 11 personnel this year with CeeDee Lamb and the, the tight end depth chart thinned out a bit. And I believe they were the second most efficient team out of that. So, you know, he's going to see fewer stacked boxes. Um, I, I just love Zeke this year. And, you know, if I get Barkley at pick number three, I'm not, you know, mad about it. Uh, I think they're they're very, very close. But if I have the second pick, I'm definitely leaning Zeke right now just because I think he's a bit safer. All right, let's uh, talk about what I'm looking at as a transitionary tier after these top five. Uh, I'm looking at Derrick Henry and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Both of those guys, I think, are locked in first rounders. Obviously, since uh, Damian Williams opted out, I haven't seen a draft where either one of these guys has fallen out of the first round. Uh, and so I, I think they you know, clearly belong there. But you know, they're not quite in that top five. That said, I think there is a pretty big difference between these two guys and what I'm calling the mishmash tier of all of the running backs who follow them. Uh, and, and so, Graham, you've talked some about uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I want to get your thoughts on Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry is someone I've been wrong on like back-to-back years, and I just keep getting smashed. And uh, I, I think I'm, I think I've corrected it this year with him. I think you're 100% right. Locked in first-round pick. Um, it's really close between him and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? I mean, uh, Henry might literally double his uh, Edwards-Alaire's carry total, um, but his red zone role is just so unbelievably good. I mean there's no chance he's going to get taken off the field in favor of Darren's and Evans. Like once they get inside the five and over the last couple of years, like Derrick Henry, um, I always go back and forth on whether or not like some players are better at scoring touchdowns than others. And, you know, back to back years, we've seen, you know, Derrick Henry uh, just be a little bit better than expectation at scoring touchdowns. I think it's really close between the two. Um, you know, I think the biggest question I have over Edwards Alaire is just how big his target share is going to be because I think he's going to walk into 50 targets, but if he has a ceiling of 70 uh, in that offense, I mean, there's a chance that he could like legitimately lead the league in, uh, in touchdowns. Um, I love, I like Henry. I, I've tried to correct uh, course on him and take, taken him uh, as much as I can at like seven, eight, nine overall when he slips that far. Uh, just because I, I, I'm just tired of being wrong on him and his volume is so safe. But uh, I do think it's really close between the two. And I really, I, I don't think you could really go wrong by going with Edwards Valaire over Henry just because, I mean, it's the, you know, he's in the perfect situation. And uh, I mean, he's one of the best route runners that have come, come out of the NFL, or excuse me, come out of college in, in uh, the last five or six years. Uh, him getting single coverage against linebackers and safeties is just going to be, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible with Mahomes back there. So. 
I think it's really close. Uh, Henry's goal line role is maybe what gives me the, the slight edge to him. But it, yeah, again, it's close. Can we talk a little bit about, Graham, you mentioned that goal line role. And Sean, I want to get your perspective on that because Henry has been so consistent at scoring touchdowns over the past, you know, like one and a half, two seasons. Uh, Especially if we just, you know, kind of cut it, look at week 14 of 2018 when he really had his breakout. Since then, Henry has averaged 21.4 PPR points per game. That doesn't include his dominant postseason. Uh, And so, he is a guy uh, who seems as if he just scores touchdowns and obviously is, is very efficient on the ground. Uh, of course, we also know that touchdowns can be very fickle. Uh, and Henry has been a runner who uh, has been, at this point, very game script dependent. Uh, and so there is the, the possibility that if Tennessee gets in these situations where they're behind, they can't run the ball, uh, Henry won't have the opportunity to accumulate all of that, you know, second half yardage, get those touchdowns. How are you approaching Derrick Henry? Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's go back to 2018. It was a blast getting him in round six. And then last year, round four, um, I kept saying he's, he's the most, uh, he has the highest probability of starting all 16 games. I think I said it every podcast, so I jinxed him and he only played 15. But I mean, he is the safest bet in fantasy football. So I'm still taking him at six overall. And you made a good point when it comes to the goal line carries. I I did that piece of risers and fallers on, you know, uh, expected touchdowns around the goal line. And he was popping in the risers. The the Titans only had the, they had the fourth fewest (laughs) goal line attempts generated last year, which is shocking considering, you know, how run heavy they are. Um, So, you know, I expect them to grasp closer to league average. So I I think his goal line carries are going to go up, but, you know, that's going to negate he had four long touchdowns, so you know I don't think he's going to be able to match that necessarily. So I think it's going to sort of cancel that out. But he was actually due for positive regression in that department, which is crazy to think about. So I think he's still a lock for you know 13 plus touchdowns, a ton of yards. Um, you know, it, it's interesting to see they they drafted Evans, but you know he's not a bad receiver. So he we may have yet to see his ceiling. I'm not banking on it, but you know he could grow in the passing game. But either way, I think he's a lock for a bunch of touchdowns still, just based on the trends I've, I've been looking at. Okay, so, Sean, uh, you said 13-plus touchdowns there. Uh, last year, not counting the playoffs, he scored 18 touchdowns. The year before that, 12 touchdowns. Um, I have him projected for 12.6 touchdowns, which I, I look at that number, and in a vacuum, it feels absurd. Um, but it seems like that's probably – like 12.6 rushing touchdowns, that's probably pretty close to where you think he should be. Yeah, so I have him projected for 12.6. So it sounds like a right line on that. Right. I would say that's a good number. Yeah. Uh, okay, Rayvon. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on him because if, um, if there's a guy who seems as if he could totally explode with even just a little more work in the passing department, it would be Derrick Henry. At the same time, um, we look at uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who just seems slated already to uh, dominate as a receiver. What are your thoughts on those two guys? I mean, Derrick Henry already exploded, first of all. He averaged the third most PPR points. He was about a point, 1.2 behind Dalvin Cook last year, uh, 20 PPR points per game. Like, I think that you have to go Henry just because – his workload is so secure. Like 20, like when you start getting into the twenties and carries 
catches don't become quite as important because not many running backs are getting 20 touches, period. So the fact that Henry, with 18 catches, you know, barely one per game, was able to finish third among running backs in PPR points pretty much says it all. Uh, so he's a guy that in standard leagues, I think you could make the case for him uh, as high as second, to be honest, because he's a guy that he, he can outscore Zeke in, in the touchdown department. You know, Saquon is, is still a little bit more reliant on reception volume to truly hit his ceiling. Same thing with Kamara. So um, Henry kind of has a little bit of volatility where when you get into PPR, I think you still, he's still that in that five, six range. But um, I, I think Edwards Alaire is in a different tier just because we, we're not, we haven't seen it. We don't know. And there's always a possibility that he is treated a little more like Damian last year where they don't completely run him into the ground early on. And in the postseason, we start seeing him get, you know, 20, 25 touches a game. Graham, I actually want to ask you about Edwards Alaire. Uh, you know, Chris just mentioned the possibility that we haven't seen it out of Edwards Alaire. And so we don't know, you know, there's the possibility that maybe they don't use him as much as we would anticipate. Uh, I don't even really want to compare DeAndre Washington to uh, Edwards Alaire, but they're at least similar types of players in, in the way that they are built. Uh, and, and their skill sets, obviously Edwards Alaire is better, but um, I would say that, that Washington could be used in a similar way to Edwards Alaire, which means that maybe uh, the Chiefs would be tempted not to use Edwards Alaire as much as they could. Uh, how worried are you about the usage for CEH? Yeah, I mean, we we haven't seen Edwards Alaire, you know, on the on the, you know an NFL field. We haven't seen DeAndre Washington what his role is going to be, but we know, you know, just how valuable this role will be. Uh, I mean, over the last like, even if you just look at the years that you know Patrick Mahomes wasn't the quarterback in Kansas City, uh, their running backs in in, in this scheme uh, have just been consistent producers. I mean. Jamal Charles from 2013 to 2015 was top eight in fantasy points per game. Spencer Ware was a top 20 back in 2016. Then they had Kareem Hunt. He was a top eight back. And, you know, last year over the last uh, two seasons, when Damian Williams has gotten uh, starts, uh, he's produced like a top five running back. Uh, I actually went back and looked. And over the last two years, when he's played over 50% of uh, Kansas City snaps, he's averaged like 21.5 fantasy points per game. That would have made him the RB2 over Dalvin Cook last year. Um, So sure, yeah, we haven't seen Edwards Alaire. We haven't seen what DeAndre Washington's role is going to be. But I kind of expect Kansas City to use Edwards Alaire like they used Kareem Hunt in his rookie year. Uh, Hunt played on like 65, 70% of snaps. Didn't play a ton in like obvious pass blocking situations. Um, I think uh, Washington will be, you know, on the field, maybe some hurry up and some uh, pass blocking situations where, where Edwards Alaire needs some time to get used to it. But I'm, I'm fully expecting him to just be unleashed in this offense. And I mean, we've just seen it. We, we know that the, 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 the KC running back every year is a top eight producer. And I think the ceiling is even higher now with, with Mahomes uh, at the controls. I mean, the dude is, he's the most efficient quarterback in NFL history. I mean, there are going to be so many layup scoring opportunities, not only in the red zone, but like, uh, you know, closer on the other side of the you know, 30, 40 yard line. I mean, this, this team is going to, this, this offense is going to hum and Edwards Alaire is going to draw a lot of single coverage. I just, I don't know. I, I, I do. I hear you that it's, you know, one of those things we haven't seen before, but you know, we do know how valuable the role is and we do know how valuable uh, chiefs running backs have been. Uh, and for that reason, I think Edwards Alaire and Henry are, are really close. 
Sean, Graham just mentioned there uh, some of the scoring opportunities that Edward Zolaire could have. Uh, and so I want to get your sense on this. We've seen, obviously, Jamal Charles have some big touchdown seasons. Uh, you know, we've seen Spencer Ware, Kareem Hunt, Damian Williams score touchdowns in that offense. I look at Edward Zolaire, and I think that even though he's not a big guy, He's probably still built to be able to score touchdowns. There's nothing that you look at him and you think this guy can't score touchdowns. Uh, and given the offense that he's in, I imagine he's going to score a lot of touchdowns. So my question to you, uh, total touchdowns uh, that you are projecting for Edwards Alaire this year, where's that number? How high is it? Uh, so total touchdowns, I have it around 11. Um, so cl- just short of eight rushing touchdowns. And then um, I believe two and a half receiving uh, or even uh, three and a half receiving touchdowns. Um, so with him, I'm, I'm giving him 65% of the goal line work, which is pretty high. I think I'm being pretty generous there. I would be a little bit worried about Darrell Williams. They, they loved using him around the goal line last year and he was pretty effective. So that would be kind of the crutch in that argument. But yeah, obviously anytime you have a, you know, a workhorse back on this Chiefs offense, they're going to be exposed to a ton of easy touchdown opportunities. So certainly his ceiling is much higher. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he were able to put up 15 plus, but I'm, I'm being a little bit conservative and, you know, I'm giving him roughly 65% of the goal line carries, but um, he's going to be able to create explosive runs. So, you know, he's more likely to score longer touchdowns, especially in the passing game. So I think, you know, the ceiling for him is much higher than my medium projections right now. All right, let's get into the tier of players. Uh, I'm just calling the the mishmash tier. I don't want to say that this is uh, Sean. What was the the tier that you had? The frozen pond tier. I don't. This yeah, isn't definitely like not. <laughs> this isn't the frozen pond tier, but this is it's something. It's like a quicksand tier um, because you know we we talked about Nick Chubb earlier, who uh, was in this tier before I, I kind of bumped him down. But the thing is, he's he's still in this tier. He's just not in in the uh, the guys that are in the top twelve. But you know, you have Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon. Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, who got put in here in an honorable, but really this tier extends down beyond some of these guys. And Graham, you mentioned Nick Chubb as someone you were looking to avoid. This feels like a tier of players where um, you have to get this pick right. Uh, If you pick the wrong running back, that could end up being the difference between winning your fantasy championship and, and losing in the semifinals. And all of these guys, you can look at them and see how they might finish in the top five. But a lot of these guys, I think you could also look at and see how they finish outside of the top 12, maybe outside of the top 18. Uh, and so I want to get your sense on the guys in this tier. You obviously like Eckler, I would say the most out of anyone in this tier. You talked about him earlier. Outside of Eckler, who do you really like out of Sanders, Mixon, Drake, and Jacobs? Yeah, so I actually like Sanders more than Eckler, um, quite a bit more, actually. I think Miles Sanders should be like a locked-in top eight, top nine pick. I mean, uh, the Eagles have been linked to running backs that they want to potentially sign this offseason. They haven't pulled the trigger. I mean, they were linked to Devonta Freeman. He wanted too much money. It didn't work out. You know, they were linked to Hyde. Uh, he went to the Seahawks. You know, they are gonna they are gonna use Miles Sanders as a workhorse back. And I just find it so funny that people keep coming back to the the same narrative that Doug Peterson hates running. Uh, you know, he he hates using running backs as workhorses. He always uses running back by committee. But uh, any literally any coach in the NFL over the last couple of years that had the running backs that he's had would have done the same exact thing. I mean, when you've got Corey Clement, you've got you know uh, Wendell Smallwood, a bunch of guys that just like cannot handle 
full-time roles, of course you're going to go with a running back by committee. Uh, last year when Jordan Howard got hurt, uh, Miles Sanders uh, just took off. I mean, he was top 10 in touches, top 10 in PPR points, and he was actually fourth among all running backs over their final seven games in routes run. I think only uh, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke, and Fournette had more routes run than Sanders in that span. Um, so I'm, I'm really high on Sanders. A little bit lower on on Chubb and Jacobs, but um, yeah, I, I think I think you nailed it though, Matt. Like this this tier is going to make or break teams, and, and getting this pick right uh, is going to be huge. Sean, you have Sanders ranked twelfth, uh, so you're a little more pessimistic on him. Uh, can you talk about how it is that uh, you came to that ranking? Yeah, well, uh, just a disclaimer: all of these running backs are separated by about a point. Um, so I think your, your mishmash tier is appropriate, but I would not compare them to the frozen pond tier. We have to remember that was 2018 where Jordan Howard, Alex Collins on the Ravens uh, and Royce Freeman were kind of being drafted uh, upper RB2. I think this is a good problem to have. I think all these backs are good. Like I, I want all these backs, but the problem is, like you said, uh, it's so easy to get one of them to fall to you later on. So I don't like picking at the top of this tier. Um, so I have Miles Sanders just a tad lower. I've said it a million times. Just I've been trained not to to trust Doug Peterson at all. And it's scary because if you look at the depth chart, I mean, right now it's only Boston Scott and Corey Clement. So I don't know how Miles Sanders, um, you know, won't see a massive workload. So I, I do draft him a little bit higher than this. Um, so I'm, I'm just a bit cautious with him. But, you know, I think Doug Peterson finally found a workhorse back. You know, he was compared to uh, – Saquon Barkley coming out of college, I mean, he played for Penn State, a very similar skill set, and he's actually the only other rookie running back since Saquon Barkley the past 10 years to rush for 800 yards and uh, receive 500 yards. So uh, I think he proved in his rookie season that he's the real deal, um, and I, I would be comfortable drafting him as a top 10 running back. It's just like I said, with Doug Peterson, we don't know if they're going to bring in Lamar Miller, Devontae Freeman, and kind of make it more of a committee, but uh, right now I would say he, he's due to be the workhorse back. All right, I look at Miles Sanders, and I see that he had over 1,300 scrimmage yards last year as a rookie, which is really impressive. And it's normal to assume that in a guy's second year, that number would go up. So on the one hand, I want to be incredibly bullish on him, especially because he was also great in college and is very athletic. Yeah. Uh, but in my projections, I just – I can't do it. Like, I, I give him what I view as a, a decent target share, a decent market share of rushes, and he doesn't crack into my top ten. And, Rayvon, I'm looking at your rankings. You have him at number 15. Uh, so it, it seems as if, uh, you know, relative to Graham, relative to Sean, you are out on Miles Sanders. I don't think it's that – again, I think I'm with Sean in that these running backs just aren't separated by much. And – I mean, if you look at the guys I have in front of him, you know, after Edwards Alaire at, at seven, Eckler, Mixon, Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Kenyon Drake, uh, Josh Jacobs, and Chris Carson. Like, I, those are half PPR. So um, Sanders moves up a couple spots, uh, you know, over Jacobs in, in PPR. So it's not really like a I'm out on him. But uh, I think kind of we could see a, a similar situation to last year, you know, where he – is used as a like featured back in some games where it's more like a little closer with him and Scott in some other games, like it was with him and Howard. Um, so there's just a little bit of uncertainty. Whereas I think, you know, guys like Carson Jacobs and even Drake based on what he did, you know, once he was acquired by Arizona, um, these, these guys are just locked in for, you know, touches 
near 20, near the 20s, whereas I think Sanders a little, a little more uncertain with that. So um, he's just kind of at the, at the back end of that tier for me. But it's a tier, like, I, I don't actually think it's going to be like a make or break tier because I, I do think all of these running backs are pretty solid, pretty high floor guys. The guy I have ranked after Sanders is Leonard Fournette um and, and that and, and wavy on bell and, and those two are i think where you might see like a more of a teardrop just because i think there's kind of you can kind of see the, the the red flags with those guys okay one uh i'm trying to create some some tension some confrontation and you guys are not allowing me to do that that's number one number two here's maybe another way to to think about this tier of running backs um Raybon, I think you're right that this isn't necessarily a make or break tier within the tier. I think what actually might be make or break is if you draft any of these running backs. And let me put some more context on that. I think there are running backs that you can get later in the draft that will be pretty close to what these guys will provide here. And so instead of drafting any of these running backs, I would rather draft wide receivers and then get my running backs a little bit later. Raybon, do you have thoughts on that strategy? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I can agree with that one. Like, you got your attention. Because, like, what, which running backs are you talking about later on that could replicate that? And then compare that, you know, take that question and then compare that to the wide receivers that go in rounds four through seven. I think, you know, especially once – the top four wide receivers are off the board or, and, or you can count DeAndre Hopkins in that, like starting with Godwin, Evans, Galladay, like those guys are, 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 I think a lot more comparable to guys, you know, going rounds two, three, four rounds later, you know, Odell Beckham, Tyler Lockett, you know, guys in like different ranges that could, you know, Cooper Cup. these guys have put up, you know, top 10 seasons and, and could put up top 10 seasons at wide receiver where like, is David Montgomery really going to do that is, I mean, you know, like who, like who are these running backs that you're counting on to replicate the running backs in this tier's production? That was total straw, man. You know, I'm not talking about David Montgomery. I would hope. I mean, no, but like, seriously, like, cause after then it's like Gurley, which I'm out, you know, I'm out on Gurley. I, I think the, the red flags are, are there, you know, Bell and I like, I like Bell. Um, but you know, David Johnson, he wasn't he's kind of broken I think he'll get carries but he might not be like super efficient with them uh you have a bunch of rookies that maybe you know you could make a case for Cam Akers but not a guy that is like guaranteed anything yet same thing for Swift Ronald Jones I don't think he gets to the levels of these backs like I think the touch ceilings are just lower for for guys outside this range even if it's I think the only reason maybe you would go away or people are going to go away is because they don't know which one to pick but that's, I don't think that's a good reason. I think the answer is any of them are fine. I think it's the next tier where you start getting dangerous. Okay. So I like James Conner. I think he has a pretty good chance of finishing as if he is a guy in the top 10. I, I mean, I'm going to be alone on an island here, but I actually think Le'Veon Bell is pretty underrated this year. Uh, Ronald Jones, I mean, I, I'm, I'm taking my life in my own hands if, if I want to, uh, to be on that hill. But uh, I'm, I'm going to be on that hill this year. But uh, James Conner is the main guy that I think is really undervalued. And if I can get him later, I would rather take Julio Jones now instead of one of these running backs. I don't know. Graham, Graham, do you have thoughts on just kind of the comparative value of some of these running backs here versus the wide receivers who are going in this tier. Yeah. To your point, like the first guy I thought of when you brought up, you know, maybe I want to fade these, you know, 
late first, early second round backs. The first one I thought of was Connor. I'd also add Chris Carson to that mix. I mean, I know he's coming off a hip injury, but Rashad Penny's on the pup list already. The only thing they really did this offseason is Zach Carlos Hyde, who's been, you know, he's been a fine back, but he's a replacement level guy. I mean, when Penny is out, Chris Carson plays, uh, you know, his, his snap share increases, his targets actually increase too. I mean, he's, he's basically a lock for like 20 to 25 touches and he goes in the fourth round of drafts. I'd also add Jonathan Taylor to that. Uh, I, I mean, man, like Jonathan Taylor is Superman playing football. I mean, the dude is, he's going to run circles around Marlon Mack and yeah, sure. Marlon Mack and, and Naheem Himes, they're going to play a bit, especially early in the year. But I, I think there's a chance Jonathan Taylor has like a Nick Chubb type rookie season where maybe weeks one through six, one through eight, he's kind of a low end RB too. But I mean, there's going to come a time this year where Jonathan Taylor just gets unleashed. And uh, I was in the the, uh, pros versus Joe's draft, which is a a tight end premium draft. And I got Jonathan Taylor and Carson. Uh, I got Carson in round three, Taylor in round four. Taylor usually goes in the third round, which I'm kind of out on, but if he starts slipping in the fourth round, I mean, um, that's, that's a big buy, but I, I think in general, I think, uh, Ray Bond is right that this tier, you kind of can't go wrong, um, in the sense that there's a lot of depth here, but I, I do think there's some guys like Chubb and maybe Jacobs to a lesser extent. And especially, you know, some of you haven't even talked about Aaron Jones that have just significantly lower floors than the upper tiers where, you know, we're talking about Henry and Cook and Kamara. I mean, Aaron Jones, man, like talk about a guy who got super lucky in the touchdown department last year. His, his touchdowns are going way down, and then they just added A.J. Dillon. I mean, that's, that's someone that I'm like oh, completely God. avoiding. Oh, God. You did it. You said the magic words. Friedman and I have like, had this <laughs> argument, like every podcast. I agree. I think anyone's touchdowns are going to regress from what, you know, what Jones did last year, but I don't think Dillon is a factor. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, next, uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. I mean, I think Dylan. I don't think Dylan's very good either. I think he got completely overdrafted. Yes! Oh, okay. I mean, Let's actually stay here for a second. No, no. I mean, because I, I thought Dylan was like in yards created. I mean, he was like bottom of this class in yards created per ten, bottom in the class, and this stack was forced. He doesn't catch the ball. Like, oh my! I didn't oh understand. I don't understand. I didn't. I didn't understand the pick at all. I mean, Aaron Jones has been one of the most efficient players in the league since he's come into the league. I'm with you that I don't think Dylan's going to be that big of a factor, but for better or worse, the Packers are going to give him the ball. Like they're going to give him the ball. I, they draft him in the great. second round. They, they, like he, he's the third string running back. That, that, that guy may not get more than like two touches a game. Like, I, like I don't think his draft pedigree means much when you consider like the, how much of a, how much like input the, the front office has versus what for that. That's like in, in this particular case, sometimes it matters more. I, in this one, I just don't think it does. I guess I, I guess I see the Dylan pick as more of like an indictment on Jamal Williams than anything. Because like Jamal Williams has been pretty meh on his touches. So maybe that's what it is. But I think it's I honestly think it's more so that Jones played so well and has played so well that they pretty much know that he's gonna want money and they're probably, you know, sure. looking ahead and, and I think I really think that's what it is. I mean I could that's be wrong. Point. But that I just don't see AJ Dillon like cutting into Aaron Jones in any way, and perhaps not even Williams, because Honestly, I think LaFleur was really happy with, with the way Williams played last year as well. Really glad that we could get some Aaron Jones talk on this podcast. If I was, if there was one thing that we had been missing on, on recent shows, it was uh, some Aaron Jones conversation. Uh, Sean, I want to get your thoughts on uh, – okay, actually, one second. I think there is a way, Graham, in which uh, you can screw up with this tier – and I would say that it's drafting early in the tier instead of just waiting to get a running back in this tier near the bottom of it. 
That's a fair point. That's the fair. I think, you know, if you're drafting Aaron Jones at eighth overall and Josh Jacobs comes back and you're, you know, you're on the board of 15 and Josh Jacobs is still there. That's, that's the right point. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah. I think that's the way that I would uh, approach this tier. Uh, Sean, I want to get your thoughts on some of these other guys that we, we haven't talked about. So we talked about Sanders, we talked about Eckler, but there's still Mixon, Drake and Jacobs, you know, out of these three, is there one that really stands out to you? as the one you like the most. Yeah. Mixon, Mixon for sure. Um, and with, with Mixon, I'm, I'm, you know, a bit cautious with him because Gio Bernard still exists and whether people like it or not, he's still on the field, you know, 35 to 50% of the snaps. Um, so, you know, he limits his receiving upside. Uh, Mixon only had uh, three games where he had four more catches. And when you think about it, he, he's on a really bad team that plays from behind a lot. You really don't like that. Um, out of Mixon. Uh, other than that, obviously, he's one of the most talented backs in the league. Um, I usually just can't stomach taking him this early. And just to, to weigh in on what you guys are talking about with this tier, you really only have exposure to this tier at the end of the first round and beginning of the second. So you really only have one chance to get these guys, and there's no such thing as them coming back to you. So it's, it's really, if you're at the, you know, the end of the first round, do you take two of these guys or you take one of them and, you know, stud wide receiver or like Kelsey? I think that's really the decision. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I can get behind taking two of these guys because, you know, uh, we've talked about it the past couple podcasts, but, you know, rounds three through, I would say seven, the wide receivers, you know, that's where I like targeting them. Um, and you, you can't really go past that because wide receiver is the only position that you can't be, uh, pluck in wide receiver one or twos later in the draft or even in season. So I think it's critical to have all your wide receivers drafted before round seven's complete. Um, so I think that's, that's my way of just kind of getting ready for that wide receiver run is I just take two running backs early and then just load up on receivers. And then later on in the draft, I'm just loading up on, you know, upside backup running backs, those type of backs. Um, so I think that's kind of the strategy I've been taking at the later end. So these guys are pretty valuable in that. Raybon, I want to get your thoughts on that trio of backs, Mixon, Drake, Jacobs. Yeah, I think I, I totally agree with what Sean said. Like, I don't think there's a need to differentiate too much between these guys. Um, it, it is nitpicking a little bit. Uh, I have Mixon at uh, number nine, right, you know, right after Edward Delaire and Eckler. Uh, I think Mixon, you know, he was kind of that consensus, you know, num- like guy after the, the top tier, uh, you know, with Cook for a while. And then Edwards Ware happened. And, and I've come around on Eckler. I think he's just got so much upside, you know, kind of Christian McCaffrey level um, in the, just based on what he can do. So um, Mixon, he's ninth for me. I think the one concern with him is we've kind of seen him play a full season in Cincinnati's offense and not play very, you know, not produce as much as we had hoped. Uh, but I think the offense will be a lot better. I'm, I'm very high on Joe Burrow. Uh, and, and I think Mixon, you know, with the kind of shift uh, with Tyra Eifert now gone, you know, from that offense, and the tight ends are Usoma and Drew Sample. I think uh, whereas the running back was the blocker when, when they when they left in a blocker early in the season last year, that kind of shifted as the year moved on. And now with them not really bringing in an established tight end, uh, I think Mixon will get more pass catching opportunities, which should, um, boost his floor and his ceiling, uh, even if he has those those bad O line games. So I, I still like Mixon as the top one, just because I think he has a higher. Uh, uh, I mean, I, don't, I like Mixon as the top one over over Jacobs. I think Drake probably has the highest like PPR ceiling, but he's another guy who we we haven't seen it over a full season. So loved what he did over the second half of last season. 
Um, and, and honestly, wouldn't blame me if you drafted him over Mixon, um, but I have him just a little bit behind just because we haven't seen him kind of withstand that, that workload that I expect him to get, which is, you know, playing almost every snap, which he did down the stretch, even with Johnson and Edmonds back. Um, but we just haven't seen him hold up over a full season with that workload. But he's highly efficient, and uh, he, I think he definitely has the highest PPR upside uh, of those three and, and probably the highest just overall offensive upside. So um, if you want to go Drake at number, uh, number nine over, over Mixon, I'm fine with it. But Jacobs is at the end just because I think his pass catching upside is the most limited. All right. Uh, final question here for all three of you guys. It's uh, not on the outline, but, uh, you know, that's what I do. I, I improvise. I'm, I'm like Patrick Mahomes. Just to improvise. Imp- oh, I screwed that up. The Some improviser. Imp- an, improvisational, <laughs> an improvisational wizard. Final question here, not on the outline. If there's someone besides Austin Eckler, who now is on the outline, someone not included uh, in the, the top 12 guys that we discussed that you think should have or, or by the end of the season will end up being in the top 12, which guy do you really want to talk about, Graham? Connor is pretty close. Uh, if he plays the full 16 games, uh, it'd be pretty hard for him not to. I'll go a little off the board, though, and so Melvin Gordon. Um, you don't give a running back $8 million per year in free agency to not make him your workhorse. I mean, Philip Lindsay had a great rookie season, really struggled last year. Uh, and Denver has been trying to show us that they want a workhorse back. And, uh, you know, they, they went out, signed Gordon to a nice two-year deal. He basically got a fully guaranteed contract, which you never see, especially at the running back position. And uh, Gordon's just a better receiver than Lindsay. Last year, uh, even in Gordon's, you know, potentially his worst year since his rookie season, um, he was, um, you know, averaging 1.4 yards per route run. Lindsay was far worse, way, you know, way down the totem pole in yards per route run. Uh, they're going to heavily have him heavily involved in the red zone. And, and Pat Shermer is a pass first coach. I mean, over the last two years, he's been top 10 in pass rate in neutral situations when the game is within a score. And, you know, they've got all these passing game weapons. I, I think Denver is going to be pretty pass heavy. And I think Gordon has, uh, he doesn't have the ceiling that even like maybe Josh Jacobs has, but I, I definitely think he could creep into like the top 12, top 13. All right, Sean, what guy outside of the top 12 on the show sheet do you think will finish in the top 12 this year? So, so wait, was Nick Chubb, does he count now? Nick, is, is Nick Chubb off? is no longer on the show sheet. Okay, then I'm going to add Nick Chubb back in there because I, I still think he's a top 12 back. You know, Kareem Hunt is my most heavily owned running back, so I, I kind of go out of my way not to <laughs> draft Nick Chubb, but I, I think he definitely des- deserves to be in the top 10. Still going to dominate carries, and, you know, Kareem Hunt will limit his receptions. But I, I think with Kevin Stefanski there, th- this is going to be a very run-heavy team, so both backs can be fancy relevant week in, week out. Um, you know, I particularly like his touchdown upside. He's one of three backs I have projected for over 10 touchdowns. The Browns have the second easiest schedule, so I think it's going to be very easy for them to be run heavy. And I, I think it's a good way to keep, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's turnovers at bay. So, you know, I'm all behind Nick Chubb as a first-round pick and even getting uh, Kareem Hunt in the fourth or fifth round as well. I think this, this rushing attack has that much upside. Plus the, the offensive line. Um, got bolstered in the offseason, bringing in Jack Conklin and drafting Jedrick Wills. So I think this team is set up perfectly to just dominate uh, the run game. So I, I'm not one to remove uh, Nick Chubb from the top 12. Okay. I feel like uh, now I've gotten slammed on, on both sides of this here <laughs> with the, the outline. Raybon, what guy outside of the top 12 in our outline do you think will end up finishing there? Totally agree on Chubb. Uh, you know, I still have him 11th, so I'm not – 
totally out on him by any means. And, and another guy uh, just outside who um, will have a good chance is Chris Carson. You know, Chris Carson is on a super run heavy team. Uh, you know, defense got better with the, you know, acquisition of Jamal Adams. Penny is going to start the year on the pup, as Graham mentioned. You know, Carlos Hyde, he'll kind of fill a role because they run a lot. But Carson's a guy who probably going to get, you know, close to 20 touches a game as he's been doing. And his workload in the receiving game uh, increased last year. And he's been very productive when he's on the field. So um, I could certainly see him, you know, leapfrogging a couple of those backs. It's really going to come down to health more than anything. I don't think any of these guys that we've talked about is like has, has any major red flags uh, to the level of like a Ford net, a, a bell or, or a Todd Gurley. So it's just going to be who stays healthy, who doesn't. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit off the radar here. One guy that I think has a pretty decent chance of finishing in the top 12 uh, is Cam Akers. And uh, I know that's not anyone who really should be going in the top 12. I just think that he has the chance to finish there, which means he could provide some tremendous value uh, at his average draft position. I'm looking at the Rams offense, and I think they're going to be actually a little bit better than they were last year. But even if they do just what they did last year, it's not as if they were bad last year. There's a, a kind of a difference between having um, Todd Gurley and having other players. But, I mean, they've run the ball pretty consistently when they've been near the goal line. 20 rushing touchdowns last year, 27 the year before that. That's counting uh, counting the playoffs, but uh, 17 rush, rushing touchdowns the year before that uh, in 17 games. Like this is a team that pretty consistently runs near the goal line. Uh, and Cam Akers, I think, is going to be the guy who ends up getting a lot of those carries uh, not just at the goal line, but I think he's going to lead the backfield uh, pretty handily. And I also think he's a better receiver than he probably gets credit for. Uh, tremendous athlete, highly recruited guy entering college. So I'm very, uh, we'll say optimistic. I'm optimistic about what he's going to do within that offense. So he shouldn't have been in the outline as someone to uh, talk about in the top 12, but it really would not be a surprise to me uh, if he's one of the rookies who actually ends up finishing there. Uh, Graham. Awesome having you on the show. I want to hear from you about what you guys have going on at Fantasy Points. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This was a lot of fun uh, chopping up about running backs. Um, yeah, a lot of fun, cool stuff coming out at FantasyPoints.com over the next uh, couple of weeks as we lead into this kind of weird season where we're all looking forward to and hoping starts. But uh, we've got a bunch of player profiles up right now on pretty much every single fantasy-relevant player that you, uh, you have imaginable. Um, uh, I'm coming out with a pretty cool game script series next week, uh, looking into, you know, coaching tendencies, what happens when uh, teams get behind, what happens when teams are ahead on the scoreboard. Uh, definitely look out for that article. I mean, we've got uh, just so much content coming out every day between uh, myself, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, Tom Brawley. Uh, Greg Cosell has been doing an excellent film series and our guy, Adam Kaplan, uh, NFL insiders writing some, some pretty cool insider pieces for us too. So uh, definitely check us out if you haven't already. All right. Great stuff, everyone. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham Barfield. In our next NFL episode, we will break down the fantasy running backs outside of the top 12. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon and Matt F. The Orville. And definitely be sure to check out our fantasy football tool, which is customizable. It has come out within the past week it has all of our projections in there which we update very regularly and uh, so i should say not only is it a good resource 
for your fantasy drafts. But because it has our projections, I think it is also a tremendous resource for doing season-long prop bets. All right, please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.